When my son Matthew was in high school, he played trumpet in the jazz band. And one summer, he went to a jazz camp. The camp brought in a professional musician to talk to the students about what it took to make it as a pro. And among other things, this professional trumpeter said that he practiced his instrument five days a week, and he began each day, of, <clears throat> each day of practice by concentrating on basic skills. He spent 90 minutes playing scales and another 90 minutes doing fingering exercises. Now think about that. This man was a professional, which means he knew far more than the basics. He played jazz, which means he was so good that he knew how to improvise beyond just the written notes on the musical sheet. And yet he started every day with three hours of basic skills practice. Why would he do that? Because he knew that if he got sloppy with the basics, he'd have a sloppy foundation for his playing. Over time, his musicianship would deteriorate. And because he knew that, he revisited the basics of his craft every day. I I think that principle is true for just about every area of life. Baseball players take batting practice regularly. Football players engage in blocking and tackling drills and hopefully learning not how to fumble. (laughs) Artists practice their sketching. And followers of Jesus, no matter how long we've been at it, we need to consistently revisit the basic practices of our faith so we don't get sloppy in the ways that we think and live. And that's one of the reasons that we made 2018 a year of prayer here at Garden Way Church. Prayer is a basic and essential part of the life of faith, and we want to get it right. We want to ensure that prayer is not something that we take for granted. We want to ensure that it's not something that we overlook. We want to ensure that it's not something we do out of a sense of duty, but increasingly becomes a vibrant part of our spiritual experience. And so we've been emphasizing prayer in new ways throughout this year. We've explored some different Bible passages that give us greater insight into how to pray. We've incorporated silent prayer into our worship services. Each month at our first Friday prayer times, we've been experimenting with different ways to approach God in prayer. And this morning, we want to go back to some basics. We want to hear again what Jesus teaches us about prayer in his foundational Sermon on the Mount. And in the midst of that sermon, he offers what we call the Lord's Prayer. And that prayer gives us the essentials we need so that you and I can have a rich experience of prayer. And as we re-examine the Lord's Prayer we're going to see that the purpose Jesus has is to promote within us a greater love for God and a greater love for others. Love is at the heart of the Lord's Prayer. And I'd like us to begin by offering this prayer together. 
So if you are physically able, would you stand, please? And I'd like to have that first slide. And let's not just read, but let's pray together these words here on the screen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. Please be seated. Now that we've offered this prayer to God, I want us to look at it more closely so we can understand how and why Jesus offers this prayer and how he's inviting you and I to pray. And these words are recorded for us in the book of Matthew chapter 6, starting in verses 9 and 10. This is Jesus speaking, and he says, this then is how you should pray. Can we have that slide up there, please? This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, every passage in the Bible has a context. And the context for this passage, this prayer, is that Jesus has just mentioned two ways not to pray. First, he says we shouldn't pray pompously in public to impress others. Why? Because prayer is not a show. Prayer is an act of humility where the attention is on God, not on us. And second, Jesus says we shouldn't babble repetitiously in prayer. Why? Because prayer is not an act of beating God into submission by burying Him with our words. Prayer is an act of humility where we make requests of God. We don't demand things from God. So Jesus highlights those problems and then offers a solution. He says, instead of praying like that, pray like this. And he offers us this template for prayer. It's a prayer inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's a prayer spoken by the Son of God himself. Which means these are powerful words for us to embrace. And so we can offer this prayer just as it is which we did a moment ago. Or we can use it as a guide to help shape our own prayers. However we use it, though, we need to see that this prayer reinforces Jesus' great commandment of love. As we saw last week, Jesus said that the greatest commandment is to love God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength. And to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. In other words, a lifestyle of love is the foundation for life in the kingdom of God. That's really easy to say. It's not easy to do. It's not easy to do because we're flawed human beings and we find it easy not to love. And the reality is that left to my own devices, I won't love everyone. And neither will you. And in fact, 
if we're honest, sometimes there are people who we find it easy to hate. And Jesus asks us to rise above that kind of pettiness. But how can that happen? How can we move beyond our limited human ability to love? I only know one way for that to happen, and it's through prayer. When you and I pray consistently, and when we focus our prayers on the right things, then prayer becomes the means by which God changes us. So we become the people of love that He wants us to be. That's why Jesus gives us this prayer. And the first part of this prayer focuses on loving God. The second part of this prayer focuses on loving others as we love ourselves. And so as we embrace this prayer and make it our own, we can become people who love as God wants us to love. Now at the outset of this prayer, Jesus points us in the direction of love by saying that we should call God our Father. Think about that. We're not supposed to address God as creator. That would be very distant and impersonal. We're not supposed to address God as judge. That would be rather fearful. We call him our father. And the name of father for God is a reminder that there's some intimacy between us. He is our father, which means we are his children. And because he's the heavenly father, then he doesn't have the flaws and limitations of a human father. Our God is a loving father in heaven who knows what's best for each of his children. And so as we pray to God as our father, it reminds us of the special nature of our connection with him. And as we pray and consider what his fatherhood means, it should promote within us a growing love for him. And here's a key point. When we love someone, When we care for someone, then we learn to love what they love. We learn to love what's important to them. So I was thinking about the message this week. I was reminded of an an example out of my own life. Back in elementary school, uh, one of my teachers assigned me to do a class report along with a guy named Charlie, who I didn't know real well. We were supposed to team up and do this report and make a presentation to the class. So Charlie and I started spending a lot of time together, reading and writing and researching and discussing. And even though we hadn't known each other well, we found that we liked each other. We struck up a friendship because we enjoyed the same kinds of books and we thought a lot alike. And so this friendship began to blossom. We found that we did have a lot alike, except when it came to sports. In that area, we had one major impasse, because I played baseball, and Charlie played soccer. (laughs) Soccer, I thought, what kind of a sport is that? But you know what? Charlie and I really liked each other. Charlie and I loved spending time together. And so I taught Charlie how to play baseball. And Charlie taught me how to play soccer. You see, we each learned to love what the other person loved. 
That's true in healthy friendships. It's true in healthy marriages. And it's true in a healthy connection with God. And through this prayer, Jesus is saying, here's what's important to God. This is what the Father loves. This is what you should love. This is what you should pray about. And clearly, one of the things God wants us to love is His kingdom. And so we are to pray for God's kingdom to come now and for God's will to be done now on earth as it is in heaven. And how do we experience the kingdom of God? We experience the kingdom of God wherever Jesus is present. He brings the kingdom into our lives. The kingdom is present wherever and whenever the people of God are present. The kingdom of God is present when men and women of faith are loving God and loving others just as Jesus asks us to do. And Jesus says, pray for the kingdom to come. But here's the reality check. How often do you do that? How often do I do that? I'll bet we don't do that very much. And that's why we need to go back to the basics periodically and see what we might be overlooking. And I think we overlook the kingdom a lot. Praying for the kingdom to come is a high priority for Jesus. So it should be a high priority for us. And here's what I predict. If we take these words from Jesus and make them our own and pray this way, as we pray more for the kingdom, we will live differently. Over time, our prayers will become focused less on ourselves and more on God and others. I believe we'll be more likely to pray and ask God to work in us and through us to help build His kingdom. And as we go through each day, I believe we are much more likely to see opportunities God gives us where we can demonstrate our love for Him and our love for others. I believe we'll be more likely to see opportunities that God gives us to draw others into His kingdom. And so the more we pray to the Father and the more we pray for the kingdom to come, the more our love for God will grow because we'll be increasingly learning to love what He loves. And we increasingly will be equipped to live out Jesus' commandment of love. And we will find that in our daily lives, we are, in fact, expressing love for God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength. But that's only part of Jesus' commandment of love. As we deepen our love for God, Jesus also wants us to deepen our love for others. And so in the second half of this prayer, that's where he urges us to focus our attention. And we find that in verses 11 and 12 and 13. Jesus, continuing with this prayer, says, Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. As I read these words, to me it's a vivid reminder 
why it's important to revisit the basics periodically. Because it seems to me that what I learned from this is that our prayers probably are out of balance. You see, if you're like me, you probably spend a lot of time in prayer talking about your physical needs. Health, finances, jobs, things like that. And when you pray for others, you probably spend most of your time praying about their physical needs. And yet Jesus doesn't dwell on that. He gives one short sentence to physical needs, and then he addresses forgiveness and temptation. So why is it that Jesus doesn't spend much time on physical needs? Well, I think think there's two reasons. First, what we need most is for God to establish his kingdom. That's why we're supposed to pray about that first. Because when God establishes his kingdom, that's when the world is made right for everyone. And the more God's kingdom becomes a reality in this world, the more everyone's needs will be met because there are no needy people in the kingdom of God. Now, we won't experience the kingdom perfectly in this life. Yet we can bring it closer to reality through our prayers, and through the way we choose to live. That's the first thing. And second, I think that Jesus is telling us that forgiveness in relationships and freedom from temptation, those needs are just as great as the physical needs that we typically pray about. You know, dealing with a physical ailment that impairs our body to function the way God designed. That's no fun. And God's concerned about that, and we should pray about that. But yielding to a temptation that impairs my ability to live as a faithful follower of Jesus, that's arguably even more important. And so as I ponder this prayer, I realize that Jesus is urging me to pray differently with a different set of priorities. He wants me to understand what I really need. I need basic provisions. I need forgiveness. I need spiritual freedom from temptation. Those things should be at the top of my prayer list. Furthermore, and this is vitally important, Jesus says I should offer these prayers with a focus on we, not me. Did you notice that every pronoun in this prayer is plural? (laughs) It's not about me. It's about we. Jesus is urging me when I pray to pray for our needs, for our forgiveness, for our spiritual freedom. And he wants me to do that because the more I pray this way, the less self-absorbed I become. The more I pray this way, the more I learn to love you as I love myself because I'm praying for you as I'm praying for myself. And what might that look like in an actual prayer? Well, I might include something like this in one of my prayers. Father, right now I'm struggling with my temper. I'm really tempted to blow my top. 
So please deliver me from this temptation and set me free so that I can love. And Father, I know that three other men in our church right now are also struggling with their tempers. And I ask that you would deliver them from the power of the evil one. Please help them as you are helping me to respond to other people with love rather than anger. That's just an example, but I think that's the way Jesus wants us to pray. Because when we pray about our common needs and our common temptations, it deepens our connection with one another. It strengthens our sense of community. It reassures us that we are not alone as we learn how to live and love by overcoming temptation. How often do you pray to be set free from temptation? I don't do it enough. Jesus says it's incredibly important. And as he calls attention to temptation, he lets us know that temptation has a specific source, the evil one. God has an enemy who the Bible calls Satan. And Satan is not promoting the kingdom of God. He's promoting a different kingdom where he's the ruler and we are subject to his influence. So this prayer from Jesus reminds us to keep our prayers and our lives focused on the right king and the right kingdom. A kingdom that does not promote evil but promotes love. A love that is expressed and experienced when basic needs are met. When forgiveness is established in relationships and when people experience spiritual freedom from temptation. And as you and I pray about these things and as we work to make these things a reality in our lives and in the lives of others, we live out Jesus' commandment of love. And we help to bring the kingdom of God near. Near into our own lives and near to others. And one of the most essential ways for us to experience the reality of God's kingdom is to practice a lifestyle of forgiveness. Jesus mentions it here in his prayer. He does so in what may strike us as an odd way by talking about debts and debtors, which may initially cause us to think he's talking about financial management. But he's not. Because immediately following this prayer, he offers an explanation. And the explanation makes it clear that he's talking about forgiveness as it relates to sin. And Jesus wants us to love others as we love ourselves. And this means we must. We must have a default toward forgiving other people who do us wrong. And we see that here in verses 12, 14, and 15. Verse 12, and forgive us our debts, Jesus prays, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Then verse 14, the explanation for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. That's pretty direct. That's pretty pointed. So Jesus mentions forgiveness in his prayer. 
And to make sure that we don't overlook it, he immediately adds this explanation to emphasize the importance of forgiveness to let us know that forgiveness is a core value in the kingdom of God. And it should be obvious because without forgiveness, he can't be our father and we can't be his children. God forgives us because he loves us. And he wants us to extend that same kind of love to others. A lack of forgiveness in any of our relationships clearly is contrary to what God wants. It flies in the face of Jesus' commandment of love. Unforgiveness is like an unpaid debt. That's why Jesus uses that word. The only way to be free from the burden of financial debt is to pay it off. The only way to be free from the burden of a broken relationship is to forgive and be forgiven. However, because of pride and because of stubbornness and because of selfishness, so often you and I hold on to our anger and we hold on to our bitterness and we hold on to our hurts. And we make forgiveness hard. And that's why Jesus says, pray about it. Pray about it. And here's what I've learned. The more that I make forgiveness part of my prayers, the more I learn to love what God loves. The more I learn to love who God loves. The more I learn to love in the way God wants me to love. And we know that God loves to forgive. The Bible says he delights to show mercy. And so as I pray to my Father in heaven, and as I pray for his kingdom to come, and as I pray about forgiveness, God will change me and he will soften my heart and I will find it easier to want to forgive others like my heavenly Father. And I will be increasingly inclined that when I've messed up, I will be quick to say to you, will you please forgive me? I messed up. And I increasingly will be quick to extend forgiveness to people who've hurt me. That's the pattern that God wants for my life. That's the pattern God wants for your life. Jesus gives us this prayer of love so that we can understand and embrace and live out his great commandment of love. And as we take this prayer and make it our own, we will find that we do love God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. And we will love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Now there's something interesting about reading a prayer like this and reciting it together. It's not something we usually do. It's not our practice to, to pray by reading aloud pre-written prayers or even when they come from Scripture. Our default, our preference is to offer to God spontaneous informal prayers. But here's something that I've learned. When I create my own prayers, I tend to pray about what's important to me. And I may not pray about things that are important to Jesus. In fact, I may overlook some things that are essential. 
And I think we've seen that this morning by revisiting the Lord's Prayer. Richard Foster is a Christian with a wonderful, rich experience of prayer, and he says that learning to pray using patterns like this prayer from Jesus was one of the most liberating practices of his life. He writes, I learned to pray so that my experiences conformed to the words of Jesus instead of trying to make his words conform to my impoverished experiences. You know, I think again of the professional jazz trumpeter who spent three hours a day rehearsing the basics. He wants to make sure he doesn't overlook anything important and that his playing is built on a firm foundation. And in a similar way, Jesus' prayer of love lays out the basics for us. It gives us a firm foundation. It's a great gift to help you and help me keep our priorities straight when we approach God in prayer. And now that we have hopefully a little better understanding of this prayer. I'd like us to offer it again together. So would you stand again, please? And let's pray. Let's pray not the Lord's Prayer. Let's pray our prayer of love. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Please be seated. I have to say that I've learned a lot this week by revisiting the basics and preparing this message. And in response, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to go into my times of prayer with the Bible open to this passage. I'm going to pray these words aloud, and I'm going to add my own words to them. Because I want to let Jesus' words reshape the way I pray so that I remember to pray for God's kingdom to come. So I remember to pray for we as much as me. So when I pray for us, I recognize that our greatest need is to experience adequate provision, relational forgiveness, and spiritual freedom. And most of all, for God's kingdom to come. That's our greatest need. Maybe you want to try that approach as well. But however we do it, let's embrace these words from Jesus and let's pray the way he teaches us to pray. Because as we pray, we are doing something profound. We are asking God the Father to invade his world and establish his kingdom in order to make this world right for all of us. And as God's kingdom comes, Everyone's needs will be met. God wants to do this for us because he loves us. And so Jesus gives us this prayer so we can learn to love what God loves. And through this prayer, we can live a lifestyle of love just as Jesus wants.